Hello. Welcome to the Betsy Boss Podcast. Welcome back. We are here today. It is November 3rd, 2020, Mm -hmm. which means it's election day here in the United States. And we are in one of the most important states of all. Yeah. Pennsylvania. So a thing that's really important, I think we touched on it either last week or the week before, is the fact that Pennsylvania is what's known as a swing state, which means that if you don't win Pennsylvania, you're not winning the election, most likely. The big guy. The big one. It's the battleground. And both candidates were pushing hard to get their Pennsylvania votes I think Joe was here like late last night or something. Yeah, and- I saw, yeah, recording. He spoke exclusively to like 6ABC or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And yeah, so it's just, it's a big deal state. And I think we were just discussing this, but I think it's probably going to be more like a week until we have a new That's president what I was saying. or the same president. <laughs> yeah. Until we have a, pre- well, yeah, that doesn't even till we have a, a result let's just exactly leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly and yeah. that's because of the mail-in votes so yeah. it sounds like you can mail your votes in today yeah yeah well that i was surprised about that because i know for pennsylvania and i was talking to um another friend of mine from delaware who it was the same type of thing where it was a cutoff date for mail-in drop-off ballots and then you could still vote in person today just like in pennsylvania but apparently I was talking to someone today that in New Jersey, it has to be postmarked today. And that means either mail-in or drop-off, but there's no in-person voting in Jersey, which just shocked me. Like, what a weird election. Such a weird election. And it almost feels like maybe there shouldn't have been in-person voting anywhere, yeah. but, you yeah. know who's counting. I think somebody was telling me that maybe in Wisconsin or another one of the states, there's never, or there's always rather the option to vote by mail. Really? And yeah. So it like, wasn't that weird. I'm not sure if it was Wisconsin or a different like state (laughs) out there. Such a random one to pull out. Yeah, exactly. Um, Probably because there's not that many people out there, but um, yeah. So it's, really it's a process that's worked since the beginning of time yeah I know my ballot I sent it in via the mail and you know I got the confirmation that it was received and that was very comforting but you know it's a tried and true practice and there's really no reason to think that it wouldn't work but the flip side is we might not have a decision like we said well, yeah that's the weird, that's the weird thing to me like I get the mail-in ballot and there was an earlier cutoff for mail mail-in drop-off but if New Jersey is really it just has to be postmarked as in dropped off mailed in today there's no way there's, there's no way no way yeah, no absolutely way. no way so yeah. it'll be a miracle if it happens by the end of the week in my book unless yeah just like these big deal states kind of take precedence, haha, right. no pun it, intended. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's a landslide victory with right. these other states that are more important, no offense, Jersey, but more important <laughs> than New Jersey. Right, yeah. Um, so I guess we'll see. The race is on, all bets are off, and I'll be camped out in front of the boob tube Ooh. watching Rachel Maddow <laughs> cry all night like I did four years ago oh in 2016. God. Have so. you ever seen the SNL <laughs> um skit from four years ago where it was like oh we're gonna have like a party it's it's our first like female president let's oh get God. together and celebrate and then it's all them watching the you know the polls and the, everything coming in state by state and they're like it's okay it's okay she just needs to win whatever <laughs> and then by the end of the night like everybody's crying and so oh. it's just like nothing's a sure bet it just it never yeah. is and yeah. hill dog was ahead in the polls this yeah. time you know four years ago and everybody was so confident in her at least i know i was i went to bed that night i tell this story all the oh. time went to bed i was like she's got it like yeah. things are looking a little bit grim and it looks like it's going to be a little bit of a race but mm-hmm. she's got it homegirl's got it so i went to bed woke up and donald trump was president and so rachel Christmas. maddow was crying <laughs> yeah and i thought rachel would be crying because hill dog won but she, she was, was crying so because she lost yeah. and it was very different type of tears coming out of her face than uh, if she had won well i remember too there was some newspaper or magazine that was so confident that hillary was going to win that they printed 
a cover with her like first female president and then last minute they had to change it because oh did not turn out how you thought like oh my god i wonder if that got sent to like the other end of the earth like the uh fake winning super bowl that they always have to print for just in case both teams win you know seriously that's gotta be either team wins something seriously oh absolutely yeah i'm sure some village and some you know east japip has it you know that needs clothes desperately and doesn't care if it's the correct team or not yeah, but start starting conspiracy theories from across the world over there <laughs> big time big time but speaking of conspiracy theories we do have just a slight update in the britney spears trial from a couple weeks ago um she won just a little small victory um a couple weeks ago in october i think it was the 14th and it was in her conservatorship battle against her dad, Jamie. Right. And because of this win, Brittany's going to be allowed to expand her legal team after her petition that she filed got granted. So what she's trying to do here, she's 38 years old. She's almost 40. She's totally under her father's control based on this conservatorship. And she's looking to have him removed from the conservatorship which has been in effect for 12 years. We talked about it in our Britney Spears episode. It's Britney, bitch, if you want to look it up. Um, But (laughs) she wasn't present for the last hearing, but her mom, Lynn Spears, Jamie, and her attorney, Sam Ingram, were all there. So Jamie obviously opposed Britney's petition. He said, yeah, he was like, you know what? It's way too costly costly to add more lawyers to this thing. Mm -hmm. And there's no way we shouldn't do this. He's been her her co-conservator since 2008 when she suffered her public breakdown. We all know about Britney in 2008. He became the sole conservator in 2019 after Andrew Wallet, the attorney on the conservatorship, resigned from his co-conservatorship. After the wallet ran dry. The wallet (laughs) ran dry, girl. And he, it was a big controversy because why would this guy who's being paid a fortune to be a co-conservator for Britney Spears suddenly resign? Yeah. So, you know, whatever. So after he resigned, Jamie, the father, becomes the co, the only conservator in 2019. Jeez. Now, Jamie's recovering from treatment of a ruptured colon. Oh, God. After. (laughs) God. Exactly. So basically... The Free Britney movement, as we've talked about, has argued right. that Britney is pretty much being held captive by this conservatorship. The fans have been gathering outside of all these court hearings and citing what they claim are these secret calls for help right. and, you know, cries for attention. Coded and messages, yellow yeah, shirts, what On her Instagram, <laughs> on her TikTok, etc. cetera. Um, and, you know, in August, this was sort of up for debate. I think that's when we did our episode and Britney's attorney said, look, the conservatorship's voluntary and the singer is strongly opposed to her dad remaining the sole conservator. Uh-huh. So she's cool with the conservatorship, not cool with who the conservator is. Well, and I don't blame her too to have one person, your father, be solely like in control of so many things about your life. That does seem really crazy. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like the type of thing where you would want somebody in the legal world to be the conservator, somebody or with the wherewithal. just more than one person so that somebody is giving you multiple opinions and it's not just somebody saying like, this is what I believe, here's what we're going to do. Right, and it splits yeah. the interests a little bit so you don't have somebody with all this power, all this exactly. money, you know, and all this MO to just totally take advantage. So, right. um Checks and balances, people. Checks back and to balances. The, back exactly. To the legal system today, the uh, political system. <laughs> Speaking of the presidential the process, yeah. exactly. Um, so basically, Brittany preferred to have a qualified corporate fiduciary appointed to serve as the role of her con- conservator. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now I think Jamie Spears is going to be paid like 130 grand annually by the estate. And I think that the biggest expense of the estate in 2018 were those legal and conservator fees. I'm sure. Sorry, 1.1 million for that year. So it just goes to show you for just a year. So her winning this 
victory of being able to expand her legal team on this conservatorship was a definite win for her. Yeah, it's a step. It's the first step because at least it's kind of moving towards her regaining, you know, some of that independence and control back in her life not being under her dad like this just something creepy and the fact that her mom and sister and other family members are on the opposite side from her dad it just I don't know it it makes me really question it yeah it's definitely cringy and it just it feels like the best interests of Britney aren't necessarily what are being taken to heart. So now I think with somebody just who's a third party outsider with no personal interest in the matter um, to quote, she's the man as a legal (laughs) mind will really help the conservatorship to achieve its desired outcome, which is the best care of Britney's estate and her assets and her. Yeah, and now her dad can go back to make it his baby grits with, uh, <laughs> with, with making uh, my baby some cheese grits. What was it? Yeah, the the plastic cheese. And yeah, the, breakfast and champions. Yeah, ugh, <laughs> ugh. yeah. <laughs> classic. Yeah, classic times there. But but now that we've covered that, I guess we can jump into yes, or jump two. back in really, jump yeah. right back in. Yeah, to part two of Martha Moxley, which is a whirlwind topic. We got a ton of interest. We're really happy with the turnout on this episode. We saw our numbers skyrocket last week when we began talking about Martha and her just horrible demise on Mischief Night, um, 1975. But I think where we ended last, we had found the body. We had discussed the evidence a lot of the evidence pointed back to the Skakel family and in particular to Tommy Skakel with his Abe Lincoln paper mm-hmm. that didn't exist by anyone's account mm-hmm. except his own. Yes. So, you know, we're looking at alibis, we're looking at the Skakels, we're looking at the famed golf club. Yeah, we're looking at the Tudor, little Ken, at the Tudor. L- little Ken Littleton. <laughs> little Ken Littleton. We're t- the worst first day of work ever, as oh. you'll recall. <laughs> yes. And we're just looking at everybody, but there's not enough evidence to really nail no. in that coffin for anyone. Right. Everybody's sort of like just skating above that final level of evidence yep. that would implicate them. Exactly. So, it's it's a tough time um and the case kind of goes cold for a while yeah as we discussed and i think this is where we left off right yeah yeah so spring 1991 it had gone cold and then i think we were gonna pick right back up when it actually started to heat up just a little bit again so so the case went cold and then spring 1991 you mentioned a kennedy they all get roped in William Kennedy Smith was accused of raping a woman at the family's estate in West Palm Beach, Florida. And this this is like right before OJ. This is kind of the heyday of that televised court case and all that jazz. So this was a nationally televised trial. And of course, the tabloids went crazy. It's a classic Kennedy sex scandals, blah, blah, blah. And somebody actually claimed falsely, but they claimed that um, William Kennedy Smith had been at the Skakels the night that Martha was murdered. It was false. It was incorrect. You know, they eventually flushed that out and it was totally, you know, unfounded, but it brought back interest to this case that had just kind of, it was, it was dormant for, you know, a while there. So. Yeah. So Summer 1991 rolls around, evidently when I was brought into this world, (laughs) Um, and the New York Post finally publishes this article that nearly a decade earlier in 1982, the Greenwich newspapers recruited this guy Leonard Levitt to do an investigative piece on the murder, but they wouldn't run the story when it was complete. And the reasons for that is that in the report, Leonard found all this evidence that the Greenwich police grossly mishandled this case. Like we said last time too, like we could see that from a 1975 mile away. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We could see it from 2020. Mm -hmm. Hindsight's 2020, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Um, But basically Leonard found evidence that the Greenwich police were actually paid off. That's crazy because I did not see that. That like, but I believe it. 
Yeah. And it just, it shows how badly the department actually investigated the murder. It touched on the fact that the police didn't even conduct the search of the Skakel's home themselves. We yeah. touched on that <laughs> yeah. last week when Ugh. we said that the police got Tommy's older sister, Julie, right. to do the search without any oversight. Yeah. And there was just in general, this like cavalier attitude of trying to avoid pissing off these rich, powerful people yeah. and trying to walk on eggshells in order to stay in their good graces. And it completely impinged the search. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was bad times. And I think the article that you're referring to also um, was able to draw upon evidence that this is kind of the crux of this turning point in this next podcast episode that we're going to into. So the Sutton report. Um, and this was a report that actually Rushton Sr. Skakel, um, once the interest kind of got stirred back up in the Martha Moxley case, he hired this very prestigious um, New York private detective agency called Sutton Associates to investigate the investigation, essentially. So looking back at what went on initially and I think pretty much it was a CYA to see, you know, could my sons be implicated in this even years later? Um, and so the it totally backfired on him because the agency actually released the report and pretty much found from the get-go that Tommy and Michael were looking super super suspicious here they both had revised their descriptions of the night of the murder multiple times and not little stuff either no like this this uh this is where it really gets interesting yeah it sure does i mean tommy's story completely (laughs) warps actually so does michael yeah both of theirs are just like what right completely oh my gosh So around this same time as all this is going on, all these stories are changing and the case is sort of having a renaissance in a way, somebody comes up, an author convinces Dorothy, Martha's mother, to let him write a novel about Martha's murder with the details changed just enough, just tweaked Mm. to not give anything away. But he thinks it's just this fascinating murder story and he wants to write a book. So he's in Colorado on his book tour. And at some point on the tour, the pathologist from the case gives a copy of Martha's autopsy (gasps) photos to the investigator and says, listen, Tommy didn't kill Martha. Whoa. Now she doesn't say who did, but she says Tommy didn't do it. He's innocent. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) So, yeah, there's a lot of things going on at the same time. I also want to point out, at least for me, my info kind of is a mesh between the Sutton Report and then also we have the classic Mark Furman, who everybody will know from good old OJ. He eventually writes um, a book about this as well. So it's a little bit later, but some of this info is coming from these different sources. So... Based on these different sources, mainly the Sutton Report, we kind of come out with three truths in in their, you know, opinion. So um, first of all, it was that Tommy and Michael are somehow involved in the murder or somehow have knowledge of the murder. Michael is the actual murderer and Ken Littleton is somehow a witness or also has some knowledge, which... I don't, especially the last one, I don't know if I totally believe. Um, Mm -hmm. But kind of like we said, just starting with Ken Littleton, um, it's it's highly unlikely on the first night on the job, you're going to go out and you're going to murder some girl that you don't even know. Like you're not even unpacked. I'm sorry. Exactly. (laughs) You just got to the house. You're basically Fräulein Maria working for the Von Trapp family with all these rich, spoiled kids and you're the governess. You're not going to go out and decide to kill for the first time that night. No, no. Come on. And, and just given the um, location and 
murder weapon and all that stuff that this all took place, it definitely points to somebody that's really comfortable with the neighborhood, comfortable, you know, it's kind of a, a revenge murder against Martha and given where she was earlier that night and the background she has with the Skakels, I'm sorry, more likely than not, you know, it's the Skakels. It's them. Yeah. yeah. And there's also the fact that, you know, she was found with her pants down, pun intended and truth intended. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and basically, I mean, it, it was kind of up for debate whether sexual assault was involved in the murder. Right. But that was a big piece of evidence too, because it almost seemed like, okay, if there wasn't sexual assault involved, why do you have her with her pants down? Is it a humiliation tactic? Right. Is it a revenge thing? Like you said, um, so these details are sort of swirling about and coming together and, um, new theories are arising as to who could have done this and why. Yeah. And we also, going back to the OJ time frame, it's the emerging field of DNA. And so a lot of people speculate that the Skakels changed their stories because they worry that, you know, DNA was tested and they actually found DNA. So somehow they have to make their stories fit like, oh, why would my DNA be found there? So the new story that we get from Tommy then to cover why his DNA might have been there and just kind of his new timeline and everything. So he said that originally he had said that he last saw Martha around 930 when they parted ways. He went inside. She went back to her house. Now he's saying that at 930 they left but came back out again and were actually having sex or alternative theory. She didn't go home. He, they were there that night. And I think we talked about it last time, the cousins and Michael were driving away in the car to drop off the cousin. And as they drive away, Tommy and Martha go behind the fence right there and start getting into some funny business. <laughs> um, so they start to have sex, um, but you know, they're, they're fooling around, but they end up ultimately leaving and, um, Tommy goes back, Martha, again, it may be a later timeline, but pretty much the same type of story where they both part ways. He goes back inside. Nothing really happened after that. Right. And the changes to Michael's story <laughs> change, go from bizarre <laughs> to perverted to just yeah, all around weird. Yeah. I mean, there also is just no way that you would forget these types of details and then suddenly remember them 20 years down the road. Well, I'm sorry. I, I do have a comment because we'll rebut it. I don't believe mm -hmm. it, but I do have a rebuttal as to why they didn't tell it originally. But Oh, I can't wait. It's not exciting, but go ahead with, with Michael's new tale of what he was doing that mischief night. So Michael's new tale goes that later on, after he visited his cousins, he came home and he left the house around midnight, you know, his own house, climbed a tree outside of Martha's window, he was a little peeping Tom mm -hmm. and that he whacked the weasel or greased the gator <laughs> in the tree. Okay. And I'm not going to go into what that euphemism means because mm -hmm. you're all adults, I hope. And yeah, he was out there just, uh, in a tree, in a tree, <laughs> Michael and Michael kissing <laughs> in a tree. Um, and you know, he's just, uh, looking at Martha doing whatever and whacking in the tree. Yeah. So it, this is incriminating for both brothers. I mean, they, they both changed their stories vastly. Yeah. God knows why. And maybe you'll explain why well, Michael would change his story to this in particular and why they wouldn't tell it originally if it was in fact the truth. Yeah. I don't believe this, but what I did read was that obviously the Kennedy is a prominent Catholic family and their own father was very you know, kind of prudish about um, sex and anything related to that. So they were very nervous at the time, apparently, to say anything about both of them being out doing, well, Tommy, I guess not so creepy, but Michael <laughs> up in a tree. Bizarre. Yeah, they didn't want to um, tell their father and the police at the time what they were actually out there doing because they knew that their father would disapprove. Still doesn't make sense to me, but... I don't know. Okay. Eh, hey, it's something. Yeah. I mean, all right, fine. If you want to create reasonable doubt, you're doing it a little bit, but come on. 
Um, so eventually, after this kind of uprising of information in 1995, the changed confessions from Tommy and Michael, the interest sort of dies down again. And three years later, in 1998, a book comes out called Murder in Greenwich, Who Killed Martha Moxley? And the book, you know, goes into a lot of different aspects of the murder, but it's very clear on two things. One, that the police completely screwed the pooch. Yeah. And two, that Martha's true murderer is Michael Skakel. Mm-hmm. And they base that assertion on the fact that Michael's confession type statement is just completely bonkers. There was an assertion that Michael apparently was drunk the night Martha died. Right. Allegedly, Michael blurted out at some point that he killed Martha. And within a bu- month of the book coming out, a grand jury actually gets put together to go over this new evidence and see if it's sufficient to press charges against Michael. Well, so we may get into this with the grand jury too, but I want to say the confessions about... Um, him saying that he actually killed Martha. I'm going to do a plug here for MFM, my favorite murderer. Um, They actually did a podcast episode recently on the Elon school, which is where he was sent off to one of these uh, private boarding schools for it again, had to do with alcoholism and his just, you know, rage issues and whatnot. If you listen to that podcast though, you understand how, that information was passed on to the school and how they could force him to say that. And none of those testimonies hold any water for me um, in, in anybody hearing him say, oh, I killed her, I did it, you know, whatever. They apparently had him at one point have to walk around the school saying, or with a sign on his back that said, ask me how I murdered my neighbor or ask me about Mar- yep. Martha Moxley or something like that. <laughs> So it's ask a- me about my wiener. <laughs> yeah. Ask me about the tree that I climbed up in on that. Ugh, right? <laughs> God. But yeah. yeah, the Elon school was super like controversial Free. for these like yeah, troubled rich, poor little rich kids. Yeah. And they just had weird treatment like you were talking about, like fighting and humiliation tactics and just all kinds of weird stuff, weird ideas about, and who knows if they worked or not, probably not, I would wager. Um, But like you said, it's kind of up for debate as to whether a true confession from him would really even warrant, you know, finding him guilty. Apparently, you know, he said all kinds of things like, I'm going to get away with murder. I'm a Kennedy. Like, Uh, you know, first of all, hearsay. Yeah. (laughs) Secondly, like, I don't know if you've been humiliated as part of your treatment and you've been fought as part of your treatment. Right. You know, you just wonder how legitimate your confessions are going to be if they're, if they're pushed out and coerced. Yeah. Well, and I was wondering, I went back to like, okay, fine. Even if they're forcing him to say this, how would they know this information? You know, how would this information, but then I found that the family lawyer actually worked to get him into this facility So the family lawyer could have known that background, probably did know that background. Also, there was another um, woman or young woman from his area, from literally the same town that was at Elon at the same time, who very easily could have known about the case and mentioned that to anybody, you know, to try to, I don't know, gain benefit or something, because it sounds to me like it was just a Lord of the Flies situation over there at the Elon school. So it's it's not it doesn't it didn't have to come from michael saying anything about the murder for somebody to accuse him of the murder at this school sure yeah, yeah. it sounds like they would basically accuse anybody of anything in yeah. order to just pass it off as a tactic right. to reforming right. this troubled youth which is awful which is so sad yeah so in january of 2000 this is guys 25 years from it's martha moxley's death Um, An arrest warrant is issued, but it's not a warrant for Michael's arrest. It's a warrant for an unnamed juvenile. Do you understand why that was? No, I didn't even see that. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know why that was. Um, That's an interesting one. No, I did not know that. Let's see. I wondered if, if it has to do something with like just being a juvenile in general. Um, Yeah. Or if it has to do with their status. 
yeah, I don't even know. Um, that was like a dead end <laughs> note. But... Never mind. Suppose the spark conversation didn't happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but in June of 2002, regardless, Michael gets tried as an adult. He says he's innocent, but the prosecution actually has audio tapes from the book proposal. Mm-hmm. And they're able to play these audio tapes. And in those tapes, Michael actually admits he liked Martha and he admits that he jerked it in the tree, okay? A critical piece of evidence. They scraped the tree for DNA. Just kidding, they wood. didn't. <laughs> the tree claims that it was sexually assaulted. Yes. Michael uh, says otherwise. Mr. Pine to the stand. <laughs> the tree says that there was sap all over yes. him. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't the first time. No, no. My gosh. He was uh, the village tree. Everybody's had a climb. But um, the former chief of police actually said that at the time, you know, back in 1976, he really wanted to arrest Tommy, but the DA wouldn't give him the warrant to do so. So the evidence is mounting against Michael. He's looking worse and worse as he admits to liking He climbs higher and higher in that tree. (laughs) As he climbs (laughs) higher and higher on the tree of life here. Um, and you know, since he admits that he likes her, it's starting to create a motive. Um, so eventually we get to the jury deliberation where they deliberate for three days. And then finally, Michael is found guilty of murdering Martha. He gets 20 years to life in prison. And you know, that seems like it's going to be that. But it ain't. But it ain't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much it. His team right away said, nope, we're going to begin the appeals right away. And man, did they. So I literally didn't even write down all the appeals in this, you know, intermediary point because it was just like so many appeals that they raised that were denied. Yeah. But the next thing I have, this is kind of a fun little interesting tidbit here. So we come to 2003 and I bet you didn't see this one coming, but here we have a connection to Kobe Bryant. R.I.P. Yeah. Kobe. Yeah. Yeah. Miss him. Ugh. So Robert Kennedy Jr., as we all know, he's the cousin there, and he spoke to 48 Hours in 2003. He was talking about some alternative suspects in the case because apparently Tony Bryant was obviously the cousin of uh, basketball star Kobe Bryant. He was familiar with these schools. He attended some of these schools up there in Connecticut. And he said that on mischief night, he and two friends actually were in Greenwich from the from the Bronx. And Uh-oh. one of his friends was boasting about committing the murder. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Kobe, say it ain't so. Oh, come on. Please. <laughs> So apparently they had gone up to Greenwich on several occasions, according to Tony here. And one of the friends became obsessed with Martha. So then on the night of the murder, he and the two friends went up there. And the one friend was apparently boasting that he wanted to get a girl caveman style. Which Which means... I don't know. All I can picture... All I can picture is... Do you remember the commercial from way back in the day where it was about if you have an idea that you want to get patent, like yeah, or and it was the caveman, like yeah, oh, making the, with the wheel, yeah, with the stone wheel. Oh, a hundred percent. But you but, know what I think of too is um, at In and Out Burger, ooh. you can get the burger animal style. What does that mean? Which I think means that it's like. What does that it's mean? It's like a bunch of toppings or something. It's Let me just say. like crazy, like jungle, animal like style. like throw it all kind of. I think so. No, animal I'm just style. Throwing out words that don't make any sense either. I yeah. So burger. here, it's um. So at In and Out, animal style is one of the most popular, quote unquote, wow. secret styles. And so there's all these different standard toppings, but animal style burgers include mustard that's actually fried onto the patty, what? and it also has pickles, grilled onions, and extra spread. So I guess it's called animal style, probably because it's like oh a ton of extra crap on there. I just can't get over trying to connect this to In-N-Out Burger. Right? Exactly. <laughs> it's hysterical. But anyway, so he wanted to get her caveman style, aka animal style. 
But apparently this friend said that they kind of corroborated the story that the Skakels put off that they were there on mischief night, picked up a golf club in the Skakels yard and ended up getting the girl caveman style. Uh Oh yeah. And so it kind of, it honestly really went nowhere and it was just kind of a blip on the screen with, you know, this whole story, but it's interesting. I mean, it, it definitely throws something else into, throws another golf club into the story. So who knows? Another golf club. Instead of another wrench. I don't know. Love it. That was Uh, hilarious. (laughs) I loved it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So who knows, but it just is kind of a really weird, like, okay, Kobe Bryant's cousin is now in this case. All right. Wow. Of all people, right? You never would have thought. So we get to 2013, and at this point, Michael has been in jail for 11 years, okay? The Superior Court judge finally grants him a new trial. And the argument here is that Michael had ineffective assistance of counsel. So what that means is that counsel, the lawyer on the case for Michael, was essentially useless, did a crummy job being his lawyer, and didn't represent him properly. So he has the right to get effective assistance of counsel in a new trial. Can I just interject here? The funny- Yeah, please do. Funny- argument comment that I read in one of the articles was that his lawyer at the time, um, I just have last name Sherman, was more interested in the celebrity attention he could get from the case and collecting fees to deal with his own financial problems. Ah. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, you picked a winner there and a lawyer, so. Wow. Isn't that just the way? Mm-hmm. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Apparently, he didn't contact any of the witnesses to support Michael's alibi. Yeah. He didn't mention any other suspects. And so Michael gets out of prison on bail in 2013. He's still out in 2016, crazy. Yeah. which is nuts. When the Supreme Court flips, they reinstate his conviction. They say, you know what? You had effective assistance of counsel yeah. after all. Okay. You're going back in the clink. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> you know what? You're going back, jailbird. Yeah. You so, like that tree? You'll like these bars. Get yeah. You'll them. like these bars too. They're not made of wood, Ugh. but they'll, uh, <laughs> a little you're still going to get plenty of you action. You can still climb them if you want to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and ugh, I don't think Ugh. your cellmate is going to approve, but no. anyway, so then in 2018, oh the God. court flips again. Seriously. Okay. It's like flipper over here mm-hmm. and says, you know what, Michael, you are entitled to a new trial. We changed our mind. You're good to go. You, you can be heard again. Right. All right. So in 2018, the court says Michael's entitled to a new trial. In January 2019, the court refuses to hear the case. Shut down. He is spiked <laughs> yeah. into the ground. That's right. He, his case will not be heard. Um, but so at this point, technically, he can still be tried again. You know, right. they can still potentially flip again and, yep. you know, he can get another trial. But at that point, it hadn't happened yet. He right. hasn't been heard again. He had his ineffective assistance of counsel, arguably. And he's just sort of free balling out in the world. Yeah, he's just he's just hanging out there. Skakel being Skakel. Skakel being Skakel. <laughs> yeah. All right. So before we get into, because this case, it is really crazy to think that it still goes on. I do have an update from 2020, which is just crazy to think. But before we get into that, I do just want to, I was perusing this site that I found reading through the Sutton report and found a lot of interesting theories that I kind of wanted to go over. All right. So here is the theory that I find interesting that I think put together a lot of the pieces for these different parts we were talking about and why everybody assumed it was Michael that actually committed the murder. Ooh, let's hear it. So let's first put Tommy here, kind of doing what he said he did. So we had Martha, the two friends that Martha was with, uh, they they were leaving at about 9.30 and they saw her still with Tommy in the driveway. Just about at this point, the car was pulling away with Michael, and I believe it was two of his brothers, one or two of his brothers, to drop off his cousin. And at this point, 
it pretty much leaves Tommy and Martha alone there. Uh-oh. And I, I think it, it, it's very plausible that Tommy actually, his story, his updated story is probably accurate. Maybe not as much with the timeline, but at least what he said that he did probably did happen. That he went behind the fence and they had some kind of sexual activity going on there. A little heavy petting. Yes, you know, the usual in the back seat there. <laughs> so by about 10.15, so this was not long after Martha's, um, after her curfew, and they're literally across the street, so they kind of part ways then, or maybe closer to 10, I guess, really, right on, on time for her curfew. They part ways, and this is interesting to me. At 10.15, Tommy actually came inside to watch TV with uh, good old Ken Littleton, and Littleton said that he was, you know, cool as a cucumber, nothing, nothing odd about him. Didn't you know. seem like he just killed his friend. No, no, <laughs> there wasn't any sign of a, you know, a psycho killer, Cascasse. Cascasse. Yeah, in the midst there. So let's, this is where it gets so interesting to me. So keep that in mind, that timeline in mind, but Here's the fun factor or the interesting factor made fun because I'm such a weirdo. I love this stuff. Um, so Michael invited Martha to go with him to the cousins, drop them off and to just, you know, like we said last time, it was kind of a jealousy thing amongst the brothers. Apparently a couple people claimed that Michael said Martha was dating him at one point. So this increases that whole jealousy. So let's say they're pulling out of the driveway. Martha's two friends are heading off. And then he sees while he's in the car, Michael, he sees Martha and Tommy kind of start to go behind uh, the fence there. Or he gets jealous or thinks, oh, I shouldn't have gone with them in the car. I should have stayed here. Mm -hmm. And the theory is that as they start to pull out and down the street a little bit, that he hops out of the car and that he actually comes back and is even more of a creep and watches his brother and Martha getting it on behind the fence back there. Ooh, from the tree or are we on land now? We're, we're, we're still <laughs> feet firmly planted on ground right Thank now. Thank goodness. Yeah, we're still at the skakels right now. And the one thing that's kind of interesting about this that his own family kind of implicated him. So his sister, Julie, had a friend, Andrea Shakespeare, over that night. And she decided at 9.45, 9.50 that she needed to go home. And so they both went outside. And it's so fluid with the timeline because this like 9.30 to 10 o'clock, everybody's all over the place on what they're saying happened when. And so, that happens to be the most important time period of exactly. all. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. These timelines, it's like anything that somebody says happened in there seems important to me. So anyway, they go out. Julie's going to take her friend home. And she apparently reported, uh, I believe it was to either officers or in the Sutton report, that she saw somebody that looked like Michael in the bushes and she yelled out to him hey michael come back here and she couldn't act like fully say yes it was michael yes no it wasn't it's just your brother how would you know who it was well it probably was pretty pitch dark out there at that point but still um she said it looked like michael but i couldn't say a hundred percent that it was michael so this corroborates to me the whole theory of michael being a creep he loves trees he loves bushes he's hiding in both of them watching people do it stuff. was the 70s of course everybody loves yeah, a bush that's very true yeah they were not trimmed too well back then no and they were not beaten <laughs> around the bush no either. good god no they were hiding in them and so Again, the theory is that he hopped out of the car, jumped in the bush, was watching his brother and Martha getting it on there. And then the whole theory is that his rage really kicked in then. And Tommy did what he said he did and went inside. Martha headed back to her home. And if you look at this, I really want to post some of these maps that I found of the actual crime scene at Martha's kind of her front yard there it very much looks like she got almost back to her her home and she's walking right under the light trying to you know most direct route from the skakels but also staying in the street light and it looks very much like he or somebody followed her back in a rage 
probably picked up the golf club. That could have been true. Could have been that was probably the laying outside because exactly. we know the Skakel kids liked to fling them around the yard. Yeah, the 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 one of a kind engraved with your mother's name golf clubs just <laughs> thrown about the yard. No big deal. But the, yeah, the theory is that he then followed her, and it was just in a fit of rage that he ended up hitting her, her, attacking her. And the map to me, I could go on and on because this is the most interesting thing in the front yard there where they find the head of the golf club looks like probably the first attack. And he probably freaked out, drags her across the, they've got a semicircle driveway and he pretty much drags her across the driveway there to this, um, I forget what, it's like a smaller tree that there's a, a big pool of blood found under that. So she pretty much was there. And then the theory is that he may have gone back to his home because he had panicked and then comes back later and drags her under the pine tree. To the other tree. God, the tree yeah. theme. Is this guy the Lorax <laughs> or what? He's, yeah, like he's the lumberjack. Yeah. Seriously, just call him oh, Redwood. God, exactly. Uh, Redwood up to no good. Yeah, seriously. Starting making trouble in my neighborhood. Right? Uh, We're Smokey the Bear to tell him only you swear. can prevent forest fire. Yeah, or Babe the Blue Ox or whatever he is. Right. <laughs> God, that's a deep memory there. That's but a deep yeah, cut. Yeah, but pretty much the theory is that the murderer came back to the body you see the drag marks to the pine tree where she's eventually found. And this is where he kind of, you know, has the final blow. But yeah, that's pretty much the theory is that it ended up being a rage killing that resulted from brother jealousy. Wow. So, Classic Cain and Abel situation yeah, going on here. Yeah. One's got the trees, the other's got the meats, and <laughs> neither of them gets the girl in the end because no. she did. Oh, yeah. No. So just kind of to wrap it up then, the final, again, this is what I'm saying. I'm so shocked that like it's still going on now in 2020. And still like hot and things are still happening. And even during COVID, like the skateboards are still getting stuff going. Yeah. So in 2018, I know we kind of touched on that. He fired his legal team and ended up hiring a new defense team. And then we're kind of bringing it up to July of 2020. So we're right in the thick of it with good old COVID here. And Mr. Michael Skakel is still out on bond, which is crazy. His new attorney said that they have hairs that were found on Martha's body that are now being connected to a possible suspect who was convicted of similar crimes (gasps) and is being held in California. Uh oh. The attorney, Michael's attorney, said that he was recently actually contacted by an attorney about the case in the New Haven area in 1977. Again, this case occurred in 1975, which involved an attack on a woman with a golf club. What? I know. Is they're not releasing the name because they don't want to compromise the case, obviously, and say who their suspect is, but. This is pretty interesting to me. Yeah. Me too. I can't believe that. Of all things, the same murder weapon, a golf club. Who's the murderer? Tiger Woods. But that is unbelievable. Wow. Isn't that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if that's a coincidence, then that's a pretty crazy coincidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was pretty interesting to me. So I don't know. We'll see. I, I still, though, to me... I think I said this last time too, it's the Occam's razor thing where it's just the most likely is the most likely. And to me in this community killed with a golf club, that was so distinct. She was at the Skagels that night, right before she was killed. And she didn't get far on her way home on a logical path home, you know, the drag marks, the jealousy, it all sort of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And the botched investigation you know who knows what was kind of lost or overlooked so but hey it'll be a developing story that we'll keep checking in on if things continue to happen and if information continues to come to light who knows uh good old mikey might be back in prison again who knows they flip so many times yeah exactly (laughs) they flip it around every couple days so seriously it's like two years in two years out we're almost to the two years out so 
(laughs) (laughs) almost time for him to roam the streets again Mm -hmm. that's right so yeah but anyway i know this is a case that i've followed as i mentioned last time for several years or even more than several years for way too long but we would definitely love to hear your reaction to this new information for me when i was looking into this case i had no idea about anything really beyond 2000 so this was very interesting to learn some of this new information and you know we'd love to hear your input on that or if you have any theories on the case do you think there's actually um any does the new theory hold any water? This new uh, murderer, do you think it's actually a real thing or is it just kind of another farce that they're putting out there to try to get Michael, keep him out of jail? So yeah, let us know. Let us know. And speaking of absolute creeps, just to keep you all hooked in for next week, we'll be going into cults and specifically the Nexium cult. Here's what's and- next, Yum. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> And an absolute creep among creeps Mm -hmm. is the famed Keith Ranieri, who actually just got sentenced. So we're going to go into that topic, into the sex cult Nexium, and we'll teach you a little bit about how crazy, creepy geniuses function. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Betsy Boss Podcast. If you'd like to find us online, our Instagram and Facebook are at Betsy Boss Podcast. Our Twitter is at Betsy Boss Pod. Our website is BetsyBossPodcast.com. And if you'd like to email us, we are at BetsyBossPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.